Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O St. Gerard, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who did draw to yourself St. Jared, even from his tenderest years, making him conformable with the image of your crucified son, grant we beseech thee that imitating his example, we may be made like unto the same divine image. Through Christ our Lord, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I'm loving this uh, novena to, to a saint. Uh, quite frankly, probably wouldn't be here if it weren't for him, <laughs> you know. And so I want to thank the people that are joining us, Hector Molina. And uh, you got to be check out Hector Molina. And Hector Molina is a phenomenal speaker, very good friend of mine. He's doing, uh, not only is he doing a Bible study uh, every week, uh, but he's also doing commentary uh, on that uh, on that new series about, about Jesus, The Chosen. So if you're interested in that, go and check Hector Molina out uh, on his Facebook page, Hector Molina, uh, uh, or, or HectorMolina.com is uh, just fabulous. Um, also, my sister, I see, is here too, Anne-Marie. Uh, so good to, to see you, Bop. So today's reflection is going to be on a wonderful book uh, by a friend of mine. Uh, David L. Gray wrote a book called The Divine Symphony, an exordium uh, to the theology of the Catholic Mass. An exordium is just a, the Latin word for introduction. Uh, so he wrote this book, and uh, I want to talk about this book today. Uh, it's available through St. Dominic's Media. It was published last year in 2019, and it's about 189 pages. Um, uh, David has a master's degree in theology from Ohio Dominican University. He's the, actually the author of five books, including a book on uh, Sola Scriptura, Scripture Alone, um, and also on Freemasonry. Uh, he's the president and publisher of St. Dominic's Media. And uh, what I love about, um, about this book, there's so much to love about this, uh, but he, he uses this music analogy of the divine symphony. So instead of saying that the book is broken into four parts, he's saying it's broken into four movements. <laughs> and I love that. Uh, so it's divided into four movements. He said it's written by the people of God and inspired by the divine composer, right? Which is, of course, uh, which is, of course, God himself. So it's broken into four movements, the sonata or the exordium or introduction to the introductory rites of the mass. And then the, the um, which is the first movement. Then the second movement is the liturgy of the word. The third mo movement is the liturgy of the Eucharist. And then you have the, uh, the, the, the end, the, the, uh, the rondo at the end, the exordium on the liturgy of the concluding, uh, uh, concluding rite. Uh, so he does what he does in this book so well, he explores and explains the meaning, the theology, the history, the symbolism, and the continuity of the Mass. Um, he understands that the Mass is leading us. So we talk about the senses of Scripture, and one of them is the anagogical sense, or anagogy is a Greek word that means to, to look upward. And so the, the Mass is leading us somewhere. Where is it leading us to? To life with God forever in heaven. And, and David never forgets that point uh, as he's uh, making um, his case throughout the book 
uh, explaining the beauty of the holy sacrifice of the mass. There are two things that I particularly love about this book. One, he talks about the Eastern and Western liturgical expressions are explored. So he doesn't just focus on the Latin or, or the church in the West. He also focuses on the church in the East. It, there's a number of references to the Byzantine uh, churches in here as well. And, well, the Maronite and others, but um, uh, so focus on the Byzantine. So East and West is, are brought out in this book. And uh, he utilizes scripture and the catechism of the Catholic Church, church fathers, as well as pers his personal experience as a convert to the Catholic faith are woven in such a wonderful narrative, but it's not disjointed. So in other words, using musical is not just a bunch of notes that are strung together, but it's very cohesive, like a great solo, right? <laughs> like you listen like to, um, if you're a guitar player, John Petrucci's solo on Octavarium, uh, Dream Theater's album Octavarium, his solo um, at the end uh, of that song is just, is just beautiful. Or even Brian May, uh, his solo on Who Needs You, uh, News of the World album by Queen. You know, he, he plays a, he plays a um, kind of Spanish guitar on that one and beautiful solo in that song. And that's what this book is like, it's like a good solo. You know, you're like, yes, he hit, yes, that was a beautiful note that he hit. And David hits lots of beautiful notes uh, in this book. Um, so I just wanna walk you through some of the highlights of the book of each of the movements, right? So the first movement is the uh, exordium and introduction to the, the, the beginning rites of the mass, the introductory rites of the mass. So this is like the sonata, right, in the, in the first movement. And so um, very early on in the book here on page uh, 19, he says, in the classical era, symphonies often use the sonata form to structure one or more of their movements. The sonata form consisted of three main sections, exposition, development, and recapitulation. Similarly, the five parts of the opening rite of the Divine Symphony uh, falls into three sections, shifting between prayer and confession, as if the subjects, as if they were subjects and modulations, Whereas the classical symphony prior to the beginning, there was a cacophony of discordant noises coming from the instruments. Um, the divine symphony, there's a prelude of intentional silence and solitude. I love that. I love that. So you know how you go into symphony and people are tuning up, you know, and you hear all the, 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 the noise, the cacophony from the instruments. But in the holy sacrifice of the mass, what proceeds is silence, you know, and that's, that's such an important point to make because the Second Vatican Council called for full, conscious, and active participation in the liturgy. In fact, it says in Sacra Santa Concilium, uh, which is, the, uh, which is the, um, the document that promulgated, uh, that talked about the, 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 the mass and, and the liturgy, it said that the faithful should be led to that full, conscious, and active participation in liturgical celebrations, which is demanded by the very nature of the liturgy and, and the aim to be considered before all else. Full, conscious, active participation. Now it's very interesting. There's a couple of different words in Latin for active. One is activa, which means active, like you're actively doing something. Um, uh, so that's not the word that's being used here. So for example, if uh, giving the, the musical example again, if you're in a symphony, you are actively participating in the symphony you would be a musician playing one of the instruments. 
that's not the word that's used uh, in this section of um, Sacrosanct Concilium that talks about the liturgy. It's, it uses the word octuosa or octuositatem in Latin, which means a, a deeper, richer, inner participation. So in other words, if, so if you are octuosa participating in the symphony, you would be listening. But you're more than just listening, right? I mean, you are deeply engaged. I mean, there's there's certain parts of the music that hits you, and you and, and you know it causes an emotional response. You know, it because you are deeply engaged in that music, and sometimes tears will come. Sometimes you'll feel uh, uh, different emotions as you're listening to that to the to the music. You know, um, uh, and so that's that act that's that that deep active participation. Um, it says that active participation in the liturgy is the primary indispensable source from which the faithful derive the true Christian spirit. So there's a so one of the ways that you could be actively participating is through silence. Right? It is through silence. Um, and uh, his wonderful book, Guy Ore, in his book on the mass says, the word needs to be listened to attentively and heard in mind and heart with a hearing that is eminently receptive. The sacrifice itself requires a more inward participation, one that is less visible and is none other than the interior sacrifice. See, so we are participating in the holy sacrifice of the mass through the offering that we make of ourselves during that liturgy. And, and one of the ways that we enter into that interior participation in the holy sacrifice of the mass is silence all right so that's uh beautiful in fact um saint john paul ii um when the bishops of the pacific northwest out where i live uh did their ad limina visit to john paul ii and back in way back in 1998 um he made a point about this and here's what he said here's a, what he said to the bishops full participate participation does not mean that everyone does everything that is not what the council had in mind. Active participation certainly means that in gesture, word, song, and service, all members of the community take part in an act of worship, which is anything but inert or passive. Yet active participation does not preclude the active passivity of stillness, silence, and listening. Indeed, it demands it. Worshippers are not passive, for instance, when listening to the readings or the homily or following the prayers of the celebrant or the chants uh, and music of the liturgy. These ex are experiences of silence and stillness, and they are in their own way profoundly active. In a culture which neither favors nor fosters meditative quiet, the art of interior listening is learned only with difficulty. Here we see how the liturgy must also be counter-cultural. Wow, that nails it right there. Because we become uncomfortable with silence at mass. Let's be real. Um, you know, like the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, responsorial song. Responsorial song's over. The, the, uh, a reading from the book of actually uh, Paul's letter to the, uh, or, or letter to the Hebrews. Oh, that's over. We're let that's be God. Oh, stop, stop. God is speaking to us in his word. He's feeding us and nurturing us with his word that prepares our hearts, minds, and souls to then receive him again 
body, blood, soul, divinity in the Eucharist. Can we take five seconds to just pause and reflect on what God has said to us in his word? You know, I mean, what, why are we so afraid of silence? You know, so we need to foster more silence. So I'm glad that David brought that out in his book. One other part in here that really struck me was um, when he breaks down the Gloria, the glory to God in the highest. And, you know, what, what I did in my book, The Mass and Sacred Scripture, I went through the entire Mass and I show from the beginning, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all the way to the end, the dismissal prayers of the deacon, um, where every line of the Mass comes from the Bible. And I usually use one or two references. In some places, I use three or four references for each particular line. But David really broke down the, um, the, the Gloria here. Again, we're talking about, if you join me a little bit late, we're talking about the Divine Symphony, uh, an exordium to the Theology of the Catholic Mass by David L. Gray. So you can go to his Facebook page, David L. Gray, or his website, davidlgray.info, to get this book. But um, David goes through and, and has so many references to scripture here just for the glory of many more than I have in my own book. You know, so I thought this was very, very impressive. And this it goes to show you how scriptural uh, the, the mass is, um, that we just did pull things, a bunch of words and just throw them together. No, the mass comes from the word of God. We are soaking, we are drowning in scripture as Catholics, almost every single word that comes out of our mouth or the mouth of the priest that Mass is from the Bible. And David shows that so beautifully by show, uh, by breaking down the uh, the Gloria and showing us, um, you know, line by line. For example, um, here where it says, uh, you know, we praise you, we bless you. Uh, the footnote here has uh, Judges chapter 5, verse 2, um, 1 Corinthians um of uh, wait that's first chronicles 29 20 nehemiah uh nine chapter nine verse five psalm 16 verse seven psalm 26 verse 12 psalm 34 verse one psalm 103 verse one uh verse two and 20 and 21 psalm 104 35 psalm 115 18 psalm 134 verse one psalm 135 19 and 20 <laughs> i mean that's just for that you know we bless you or you know we uh, we praise you we bless you and all those scripture verses just for just for those few words. Uh, and he goes through the whole Gloria uh, showing us from scripture. This is just, I thought just those was breathtaking. Um, so then we move to the, the second movement or the liturgy of the word and a few highlights from that section uh, for me that, that really stand out. Um, on uh, page 63 here, he says, uh, indeed to be Catholic is to know the reality of simultaneously finding our great joy and our great disappointment. Wait a minute, great disappointment? What do you mean here, David? That is, once a person comes to understand what is truly transpiring at the sacrifice of the mass, they simultaneously discover that they will never find an equal or more significant experience anywhere else on earth. <laughs> so, so that's where the disappointment comes in. But, but it's a good disappointment knowing that there's nothing on this earth outside of the holy sacrifice of the master will bring us closer to God. Because in that sacrifice, we unite ourselves spiritually to him. And then in receiving the Eucharist, we also unite our bodies to him. So the, in, like it says in Genesis, the two become one flesh. You know, So nothing on earth is greater than the holy sacrifice of the mass. I thought that was an excellent, excellent point that he made. 
Um, it also includes here the priest petition before the reading of the gospel in the Tridentine rite, right? In the extraordinary form of the mass. Um, you know, uh, so the priest says in that rite, cleanse my heart and my lips, O almighty God, who didst cleanse the lips of the prophet Isaiah with burning coal. Through thy gracious mercy, so purify me that I may worthily proclaim thy holy gospel. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Grant, O Lord, thy blessing. May the Lord be in my heart and on my lips that I may worthily and fittedly proclaim his gospel, amen. You know, so for us in the, in the um, ordinary form, that's a much shorter prayer. So I like how he draws out the, the beauty here, makes that scriptural reference uh, to the priest petition again bringing in not just the ordinary form but the extraordinary form and then on the next page he also does the priest petition before uh uh the deacon's blessing in the byzantine right remember i said he david brings in east and west so the prayer here is beautiful absolutely beautiful i, I just love the prayers of the eastern church by the way and if you've not gone to an to a, a an eastern rite liturgy uh whether it's one of the you know the the 11 uh byzantine expressions or whether it's the Maronite or Cyril Malabar one you really need to go um, because that's the part of our Catholic faith as well you know um, it's just absolutely amazing so here's the, the prayer uh, again in the Byzantine church that the, the priest does before giving the deacon his blessing to read the gospel oh master lover of mankind shine forth within our hearts the pure light of your divine knowledge Open the eyes of our mind that we may understand the teachings of your gospel. See how the priest is leading the people. So, you know, he's, he's exhorting the people, open your minds, open your hearts, because you are about to receive God's word. Um, instill in us also the fear of your blessed commandments. And, and, and again, the word there is not like, oh, I'm afraid of God. No, Yahweh in Hebrew means honor, reverence, and respect. So fill us with the respect for your blessed commandments so that having trampled all carnal passions, we may lead a spiritual life, both thinking and doing those things which are pleasing to you. For you, O Christ, uh, O Christ God, are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies. And to you, we send up glory together with your Father, who without beginning and with your holy good and life-creating spirit now and forever and to the ages of ages. Amen. <laughs> That's awesome. That is just awesome. That is good stuff. And see, and, and this, these are the kinds of things that you can find in, in uh, David's book. It really draws out the beauty of the mass and, and the way he compares it to the, uh, again, to the extraordinary form, but also to the Eastern churches as well. Now we move to the third movement, which of course is the longest section because it's on the liturgy of the Eucharist, right? It's the highlight uh, of the whole thing. And just, just a few uh, highlights here. This, I mean, there's so much that you can draw from here, but I just want to point out just a few things here. Um, uh, very interesting on, on page 93 here, he says the idea of parts of the liturgy of the Eucharist being a type of minuet in both song and dance is not something that's peculiar to the African or Indian Catholics who worship God, of worship of God not only includes the word, uh, uh, song, and bodily movements like the rest of the universal church, but also includes ritualized dance, which is clearly distinct from the, um, from the uh, martial dance and from the uh, um, amorous dance that we experience in, in the Western church. 
So this was my experience in South Africa. When I deacon at Mass in Soweto in South Africa, uh, Mass was like two and a half hours long. And there wasn't dancing, but it, to me, it looked more like sacred movement. I mean, you can tell that when they were moving, they were praying. And that's something that's foreign to us. We try to duplicate that at Mass. And it's more like, you know, um, uh, it, it comes across to me like, you know, at Herod's party where John the Baptist had his head cut off and he was having a party and people were, there were dancing girls there and stuff like that. I mean, that's not the same thing. Um, what, what David is talking about here, and again, I experienced this myself in South Africa, there are culturally for some people, there are, and I wouldn't call it dancing, but more like sacred movement. Um, so I'm glad that he, he brings that out because uh, a lot of people are afraid to touch things like, like this uh, when, and talking about the mass. Um, he also says that the liturgy offers in, in what the liturgy of the Eucharist offers is in contrast to that. Um, uh, so it's just uh, how David ties that together is just awesome. Um, and we could also, and when, I, and when I read this section of, um, of David's book, The Divine Symphony, it, it, I can hear the influence of other players. You know, like we, if you're a musician, like when I play, um, my influences were Eddie Van Halen. I mean, it was just, I mean, he was a massive influence on me, especially when I first started learning how to play guitar. Brian May from Queen, Vernon Reed from Living Color. I mean, so, so when you, when I play, you can hear um, you can hear the influence of those players in the way that I play, okay? And, and, I, and you can hear the influence in David's writing of Scott Hahn, especially when he talks about the fourth cup. You know, uh, you can hear um, Cardinal Ratzinger or Pope Benedict XVI. And, and the other voice that you can hear very clearly in David's symphony here are the rabbis. Very interesting. Uh, he brings in the rabbinical test. So you have the the, the, well, let's, let's talk about what those texts are. There's basically four. There's the, uh, the Talmud, the Mishnah, the Midrash, and the Targums, all right? So the, the Talmud are the written uh, tradition. Um, the uh, Midrash, is, the, the Mishnah is the oral tradition. The Midrash is the Jewish commentary on scripture. And then the Targums are the, um, the it's got like their lectionary. It's the it's the um, the Hebrew translated into Aramaic. Uh, so it's just like we have the, the Greek and the New Testament translated into English. It's the Jewish scriptures translated into Aramaic. And so he pulls from those as well. So we can hear the voices and the influence of the rabbis also when it talks about the holy sacrifice of the mass. Because remember, Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So we, we can see the Jewishness, if you will, of the mass, especially in the liturgy of the Eucharist. For example, the Bedekah prayers. Bless are you, Lord God of all creation, because we have this bread to offer. It would sound very, very familiar to a Jewish person who was experiencing uh, the holy sacrifice of the mass. Um, and, and, and hearing those influences is like appreciating the nuances of your favorite song. You know, you can hear, you know, if I, if I go to a Queen concert, you know, you're going to hear Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, I've, you've heard that song a hundred billion times, but you always look forward to hearing that song, you always look forward to Brian May's solo. You always look forward to the operatic section, you know. And so, and, and it's like that when you read David's book, you know. It's like it's like hearing the piece of your favorite song, your favorite solo. Um, and one in pages one forty eight and one forty nine talks about the uh, the often controversial Oran's posture. Uh, 
And of course, um, you know, it says the private use of Iran's posture during the, the charismatic renewal is how that started. So he traces the history of the uh, Iran's posture. What I mean by that is during the Our Father, people raise their hands uh, and things like that, or, or try to hold hands and stuff like that, or, you know, raise their hands in prayer. And he talks about the history, shows the history of that and how it got into the mass as we know it today. And actually, you know, you're not supposed to do it. You know, you're supposed to mimic the the the, the posture of the deacon because the deacon represents the people at the altar, and very clear the deacon is not supposed to mimic the actions of the priest, and so you're supposed to, you know you have your hands folded at that point. So he goes through the history. So it's not about polemics. It's not about this or that. But he just goes through the history and actually shows the documents from from the from the church herself. Um, this doc, for example, the Vatican's document, the instruction of certain questions regarding the collaboration of the non-ordained faithful to the sacred ministry of priests talks about innovations in the liturgy which is what the iran's posture for the faithful is it's an innovation and that those aren't supposed to be allowed at mass so uh he also talks about uh uh upon uh a beautiful personal reflection um when he receives the the eucharist he says, upon returning to, I love this, upon returning to my knees, so after we receive the Jesus, he comes back into the pew and he's, David is kneeling down. It has been my practice to pray silently, Lord, may this body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ, becoming permanently part of me, that I die unto him. I am praying that I may decrease so that God will increase in me. I then wait in silence and hope that God will hear the prayers of my heart. I had to learn how to make my mind, eyes, and body silent because it was always too tempting to let my eyes fall from the crucifix and watch the sheep. Yet there is grace found when we attend to God's silent presence after we receive him into us. So again, the, the symphony starts off. Before the symphony starts, it starts off with the silent and silent preparation for the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, and it ends here at the reception of communion, again returning to the silence. Psalm 46, verse 11, right? Be still and know that I am God. And the word there in Hebrew for knowing is yalda, which is knowledge that's gained by experience. So you can translate that, be still and experience God. And of course, uh, the, the, the last section, the, the fourth movement, the rondo, uh, where you have theme and episodes. So typically in, at the end of a symphony, it kind of returns to that original uh, theme in the first movement, but then, you know, um, it, it's much more explicative at the end. It's much more joyous, if you will, at the end. And so um, the highlight here for me is, um, is uh, right toward the end of the book here. Um, uh, he talks about Typically, no one ever thinks of the dismissal and final blessing as the fourth movement of the Divine Symphony as being rollicking or fun, especially when the announcements uh, pre precede the blessing. Yet there is in this fourth movement a repeated theme that is calling the faithful to action. Similarly, you know, it's, it's calling us to action. So go, the, the, the deacon says at the end, you know, ite misa es, go, you are sent, or um, go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. We just received Jesus Christ in word and sacrament. Now we need to go be Eucharist to the world. So uh, I cannot, again, thank David L. Gray enough for writing this great book. I, I, I recommend that everybody get a copy of this and read it. It is absolutely fantastic. 
You can get a copy of this by going to uh, David's website, davidlgray.info. Um, uh, you can also Google um, uh, his uh, St. Dominic's Media. His, he has a, his own publishing company where he publishes his books. Uh, and also you can follow him on Facebook, uh, uh, David L. Gray. Um, so excellent, excellent book. So I want to thank you for joining me for another Daily Dose of Deacon Harold. And uh, you can catch me as usual at 7 a.m. Eastern time on Morning Glory uh, with Gloria Purvis and Monsignor Charles Pope on the EW10 Global Catholic Radio Network. And uh, today's Wednesday, we're not doing a, a Walk by Faith Wednesday webinar. I think I'm doing those every couple of weeks now. And don't forget to uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel and, uh, and, and, and join me on all my social media platforms as well. And so we'll end with a quick closing prayer and a blessing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Father, may we look forward with hope to our resurrection, for you have made us your sons and daughters and restored the joy of our youth. So, Lord, as we look forward to the ascension of our Lord rising to heaven, let our hearts rise with him to new life in you. And we ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. And the Lord be with you and with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to thank everybody for joining me today for another Daily Dose of Deacon Harold. Uh, I see uh, Jason uh, uh, Pickney is there and Ellen Holmes, Steve LeBlanc, who's my pilgrimage coordinator. And uh, love you, Ellen, although we're not very busy right now. <laughs> uh, Francis Zhu, thanks for joining uh, Deacon uh, from St. Jerome's in Antonio, uh, San Antonio. And, uh, and all the other people that joined us today. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow for another Daily Dose of Deacon Harold. Take care, everyone. Keep me in your prayers. I'll keep you in prayer as well. God bless. <laughs>